Well, reading from the 18th chapter, the gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until, she, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we get started with this, I want to remind you of a word that you heard from the Apostle Paul on July 27th. It was actually written a lot longer ago than that. I read it on July 27th. That makes sense. It comes from Romans 8, verse 29. This is the good news that Paul was speaking to the church at Rome. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I think. 
that the promise that we are being conformed to the image of Christ is in fact good news. Does that sound okay with y'all? Anybody here want to raise a hand and say, I want to be more like Jesus? Anybody? No? Y'all don't want to be more like Jesus? Somebody say, I ain't raising my hand, but I'm a nod. <laughs> want to be more like Jesus. But that's the promise that God has for us is that he is conforming us into the image of Christ, into the likeness of Christ. You ever had somebody say to you, you're just like your dad or just like your mom? They could see shadows of your parentage. They could see shadows of the people who raised you. They could see shadows of the people who formed you in you. And that's what Paul means. That we will be transformed in our hearts to the point that we begin to reflect Jesus. That's what it means to have the image of God in us. It means that we reflect God. It means we reflect God's glory. So to have the image of Christ in us means that we reflect who Jesus is. By word, by deed, by how we live. And by how we don't live. So before we go any farther, we need to do some math. Y'all like math? <laughs> Jennifer loves math. So Jennifer has the click stick today because she loves math. So you might have heard the NIV use the, the term bags of gold, and you thought, I thought that was a talent. Right? And in the King James, it was talent, and that's how we read it for so long. The, the modern NIV has tried to update that for people who don't know what a talent is. So we're going to do some math. And the first thing we're going to talk about is that one denarius, a coin the denarius, was equal to one day of labor. Maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. But for the average person in Jesus' day, one denarius was equal to one day of labor. One talent, not like your ability to play guitar, but a physical coin or physical monetary value. While the NIV called a bag of gold, one talent is equal to 600 denarii. No, excuse me, 6,000 denarii, or get this, 6,000 days of labor. Do you see that up there? Is she clicking okay? 6,000 days of labor. One talent. This man owned 10,000 talents. He owed 10,000 talents to his master. 10,000 talents is equal to 60 million days of labor. Can you imagine owing that debt? I can see why he fell at his master's knees and begged for pity, can't you? 60 million days of labor. Now, assuming 70 years of daily labor, 364 days a year, that is 164,835 years of labor. That's rough, right? No wonder he was in despair. 164,835 years of labor. Did you check my math by chance? I did it with my calculator on my phone. It's got to be right. Now listen to this. Assuming a 72-year lifespan, which most of these people probably didn't have, 
But assuming a 72-year lifespan, which when I was in high school, they taught us was the average male life expectation in America. That's 2,289 lifetimes. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Pretty intense. Now, Peter's question was in response to Jesus' teaching how they were supposed to deal with sin in the church. And the text I read last week, the New International Version doesn't accept a textual variant. There were some early manuscripts that said, if your brother or sister sins against you. The New Revised Standard Version accepts that variant. I would probably accept that textual variant because it makes the order of the text make sense. If Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them and then you take the church and then you do this and you do that, right? It makes a little bit more sense. But I wanted us to deal with it together and not be thinking about the difficulty of forgiving people who hurt us personally. But now we got to deal with that. Because, dear ones, if we actually want to follow Jesus, this is what Jesus says following him looks like. If we want to be remade in the image of Christ, this is what it looks like. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he condemned all those people who nailed him to the tree? Do you remember that? Don't shake your head. Yes, you don't remember that. He didn't do that. (laughs) What did he do? He forgave them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing, including the Roman centurion that we assume drove the nails into his hands. Very few of us will have that kind of offense perpetuated against us in our lifetime. So, in response to Jesus' teaching that they should forgive. Peter thinks about all those people in his life who get on his nerves and he says, but Lord, how many times should I forgive? Seven? Now, he didn't pull that number out of thin air and to the Jews, seven was a number of completion. So Peter's thinking, hey, by seven times, man, I've got it done, right? Peter doesn't yet know that it's going to take three to make him feel whole. And then Jesus hits him back with seven times seven or 77, which is even more perfect than what he expected. And in some sense, I would imagine Peter thought it was absurd. And I wonder if Peter didn't shake his head at Jesus like this. And then Jesus told him the parable. Now, I'm not going to soften that parable. Many pastors do. They'll jump into that and say, well, Jesus isn't really going to condemn you if you refuse to forgive. I'm going to let Jesus's words stand on their own because I think Jesus is a better arbiter of what God will do than I am. But there's a a room here for us to think about good news. Should the gospel only be that our sins are forgiven? Should it not also be that we are being healed of our sin, our love for sin, our desire for vengeance, our penchant for anger? John Wesley taught that there was more to salvation than just being forgiven. That salvation was about being pardoned and being healed. The therapeutic side of salvation that our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters lift up so heavily. 
We call it sanctification in the Western church. And they probably use the same word because it's out of a Greek word. But that's what we call it, being made holy. I remember in confirmation class once, Sarah Alford was ruminating on what we had been learning about the Holy Spirit. And she said, oh, he's the holifier, meaning he's the one that makes us holy. The one who makes us holy. And I said, that's exactly it. In our baptism, the Holy Spirit comes on us and begins to transform us so that we represent in the world the holiness of Christ. Not because we do what we ought to do, but because we behave as he behaved, because we are being transformed and conformed to his likeness. Which means that sooner or later, we will have to deal with forgiveness. Sooner or later, the Holy Spirit will kick us in the gut about our inability to forgive. Or our unwillingness to forgive. I'm not sure which is worse. A quaint summary of what Jesus taught is this. If you're keeping track, you really haven't forgiven the other person. It makes sense to me. I stole that from the Reverend Clayton Smith. His full statement is this. Jesus uses an absurd exaggeration. What was it? 2,289 lifetimes. What it means is this. Forgive your brothers and sisters beyond your ability to keep track. If you, are keep, if you are keeping track, it's not forgiveness at all. You may seem to be kind, but keeping track simply means that you are waiting for your neighbor to cross some line. Generously drawn, perhaps, but a line nonetheless. Beyond the line, you are no longer willing to forgive. Jesus calls into question that entire game. If you keep count, it's not called forgiveness. That's essentially what his reply to Peter. I think that's spot on. Now, I don't know what that means for those times when we have to separate ourselves from someone because a relationship is either toxic for us or perhaps we're toxic for them. I don't know. But the reason for doing that can't be that we're unwilling or unable to forgive. It seems to me that God would have us wrestle with ourselves, with the Holy Spirit, and possibly with that other person until we come to reconciliation. For that is the ministry that Paul says has been given to the church. Not a ministry of getting people into heaven alone, but a ministry of reconciliation. Of telling people the good news of Jesus. And if the good news of Jesus is more about being forgiven our sins, but us expressing the love of God through forgiveness for others, which has to be part of that therapeutic part, that healing part that Wesley talked about. If God's intent is to heal us of being unable to forgive or unwilling to forgive, then to me, that sounds like good news. There was a lady in the church I grew up in named Louise Tipton. She was what people call a piece of work. Lovely lady. Had a great laugh. A little bit mean sometimes. 
in a Sunday school class that I can't remember if I was there or if I remember the way my dad told the story and I imagined the telling of the story. Y'all ever have that kind of memory problem? Yeah. Well, the story goes that Jerry Phillips, who many of you have met, he was my pastor at that time. He was sitting at the Sunday school table with my dad and Louise and some other folks. And Jerry and my dad were apparently talking about hunting. And Louise said, I don't understand why you people kill them little animals. And Jerry told her, Louise, you've gone from preaching to meddling. From preaching to meddling. Now, meddling is something that we do when we're trying to get people to behave the way we believe they ought to. Right? Meddling is actually dangerous. Because if we hold ourselves up as a moral compass, sooner or later, we will drag somebody straight into hell. We don't want to go into that whole blind leading the blind thing. Remember when Jesus talked about that? But preaching is something different. The preaching that the church is called to do by its own life, by its own deeds, and by its own words is to share the good news of new life in Jesus Christ. Not just the forgiveness of our mistakes. And that new life is one in which love and charity and and joy and peace prevail over everything else within us and outside of us. And the healing that is offered to us is so complete that the warning at the end of this is not for those who will be conformed to the image of Christ, but for those who refuse the free offer of salvation, the free offer of being conformed to that image. The warning in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us, is not for those who are willing to learn to forgive. For those who are willing to follow Christ into that place of forgiveness. For those who are willing to be changed. It's for those who refuse to be changed. It's for those who refuse to lay down the idea that something that has happened to them is so bad. That they will not forgive it. That they will not forgive the person who hurt them. Which brings us back to the math problem. And Jesus' point is this. To those disciples, he was saying, you and every believer who comes after you will be forgiven for a debt that is insurmountable. That you couldn't possibly work off in 165,000 years. You couldn't possibly work it off in 2,300 lifetimes. The debt of all sin from the beginning of humanity till the end has been paid and canceled. And nothing can be done to you, Peter or David or think your name. Nothing can be done to you that rises to the point that it cannot be forgiven if God empowers us to forgive it. Because dear ones, remember what Paul said. 
we are being conformed to the image of Christ, who is God. We are being remade into the loving presence of the one who gave this parable. The one that the king is intended to make us think of. We have been given of forgiven a debt so great that Jesus's question then is, how could you how could you behave like the servant in my story? Make sense? I'm not going to water it down. But know this, that forgiveness is always ready for us from that same God who said, I know what I've forgiven you for. When we fail to forgive, we can ask for forgiveness. But dear ones, we must pursue forgiveness. The Lord's teaching is pretty plain here. If we are unwilling to forgive, that means that we are not truly serving him as Lord. I want that to rest in your ears for a moment. If we are unwilling to forgive, then he is not truly our Lord. For we know the example that he has given us. If we say we want to follow him, but we are unwilling to forgive, then the truth is we don't really want to follow him. But we can do something about that. We can pray for healing. And in those moments when you find yourself unable to forgive someone, you can ask God for the help and strength to do so. You can ask God to heal your heart of whatever bitterness you might feel against another human being. And from that point, forgiveness can come. The other thing that you can do is pray for the person that you are unwilling to forgive. My experience has taught me that if I pray for someone sooner or later, I learn how to love that person. Two things that we can do to participate in the Holy Spirit's work in us. Ask God to let his spirit heal us. Ask God to keep us from preventing the spirit from healing us. And pray for those who persecute us as Jesus taught us. It might be hard to hear, but yes, God expects you to forgive for you have been forgiven much. God expects me to forgive for he has forgiven me more than I could ever repay. And we work that out in ourselves as we cooperate with the spirit of God who shifts us transforms us, remakes us, remolds us, whatever kind of transformative words you like, into being more and more like Christ every single day that we follow Christ. So the question is before you again, do you want to follow him? Because I'll tell you now, 
There are entirely too many zeros in Jesus's number for us to interpret this parable or this teaching in any other way. Forgiveness is a core value of the kingdom of God. It's not an option. It is who we are. Let us pray. Lord, as we have heard this word today, we have thought of people that we do have a hard time forgiving. Perhaps we have thought of people with whom we are not reconciled. We ask you, Lord, to move in our spirits and hearts to transform us. To make us more like Christ. Willing and able. To forgive. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen.